So here's the thing, entrepreneurs, leaders, salespeople, we all want to create consistent, repeatable, and scalable ways to grow our business and our income. And we want to do it better, faster, and more seamlessly. Why? So we can actually enjoy our lives, take vacations, and spend the quality time we want with the people that we love. How do we do all this without spending a fortune or running ourselves ragged? That's the big question, and this show is dedicated to the answer. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Happy New Year, Happy New Year. Uh, I'm curious, did you spend any time over the holidays reflecting, not just on 2022, maybe maybe 2022, um, but maybe just your career? Uh, I had some time up in Park City with some friends, and it was snowing, and it was gorgeous. Uh, and as always, I have a tendency to wake up earlier than everybody else in the house, and I found myself in just a reflective state thinking about uh, what it means to be coachable, what it means for me to be coachable, and the impact that's had on my life, the impact that's had on my career. Uh, and I started thinking about all the men and women that pulled me aside, grabbed me by the shoulders, or offered a piece of advice that I said yes to, and the impact that each one of those moments had. And I thought, I wanted to share some of that with you today, especially if you've been a longtime listener and you've been following my content or maybe you've worked with me or uh, seen me live in an event or you've just watched all my content, which I'm always grateful for, um, to give you a little backstory of how I got here. Because when I reflect back on now 33 years of being involved in this space, um, there's just been so many moments where something gets offered and you either say yes or you say no. And... And when you look back over the totality of your career and your life, you see those moments and you, you realize the significance of that, the significance of saying yes and then implementing that, the significance of saying, let's go for it and how that plays out. And there's no doubt I could do probably a 40-hour show on all the mistakes I've made. That actually would be a really good idea, Courtney. We should just talk about every mistake I've ever made in business because it's plentiful. But I want to remind you, you and I both know the same thing. It is only through our experiences that we gain real insight, real, call it wisdom, right? It's usually from being punched in the face, making every mistake, uh, you know, hiring the wrong person, making the wrong decision. But that's not what today's show is about. Today is really probably an honoring of a lot of the mentors I have in my life. So I'm just going to give you in moments of time, insights, times where something was offered, I said yes, and the impact that it had. And I would probably have to start with the very first one, which is a nod to my father, Mike Ferry, who I'm sure you know in this industry. He is an absolute legend. Um, I remember just thinking how much he taught me about work ethic. And I don't know if you think of yourself as having great work ethic. It's probably something I pride myself on more than most, right? I'm a, I'm a good synthesizer of information. I'm a good connector. I feel like I'm a good communicator. But the one thing I got above everything else outside of exposure and, and a start with my pops was work ethic. 
he showed me every day what it meant to be an entrepreneur. When I was a kid growing up, uh, my parents were separated and I would go there, you know, for summers or for weekends and that kind of thing. And inevitably my dad would say, oh, cool. So, uh, hey, I'm glad you guys are all here. And for whatever reason, it was never my older brother or my younger siblings. It was always me. And maybe just, you know, he latched on the fact that I was free labor. That's probably what it was. And he would just say, Hey, I'm going to show you something really cool. See these? These are bags. These are shipping bags. See these? These are my audio cassette programs that I sold at an event recently. What you're going to do is you're going to put these cassettes into these bags, put a label on them, write the address, staple them all together, and put them out for the UPS guy. And for whatever reason, I fell in love with that. And I, you know, I was like probably 10 out there basically just putting together and shipping out all the audio cassette programs. That's dating this conversation. But that was the beginning. Like, when I would see him leave on a Sunday and go speak somewhere on Monday, somewhere on Tuesday, somewhere on Wednesday, somewhere on Thursday, somewhere on Friday, and then pick us up Friday, usually in a suit, in a car that he left at LAX at the airport, pick us up and take us home, have a nice dinner, be alive, be awake. And I'm thinking to myself, now as an adult, he was in five different cities in five different days and could have done up to 10 to 12 talks plus running his business, plus making phone calls, plus checking in with his wife, plus making sure that everything was running well at his business that he was essentially an absentee owner of. He was basically working 70 hours a week, 80 hours a week. Who in your life impacted you the most when it comes to work ethic? Um, I know some people that got obsessed with things like the four-hour work week, and that was maybe the early thing that they read that changed the course of their trajectory, that got them to think, you know, how can I do a little and somehow earn a lot? That never resonated with me. No, no, you know, knock on, on Tim Ferriss. I think he's a brilliant author and a super great guy. Um, but you have to look back at your life and ask yourself, who taught me how to work or who taught me how to be lazy? Think about it. Now, if you study my content and you, you watch whether it's Mindset Monday or something else, I'm always talking about like the tale of the two. Right. And I love the story of the, the two young men that when asked, um, hey, tell us about your life. One says, well, I don't drink. And the, the question was, why? And he said, well, because my father was an alcoholic. And then the other one was asked, well, tell us about your life. And he's like, well, my life's been pretty miserable. I'm an alcoholic. I really struggle with this addiction. Well, why? Because my dad was an alcoholic. So they were both raised in the same exact environment. One chose not to drink. One chose to be just like his pops and drink like crazy. You get the choice. So if you're listening to this right now and you're like, wait a minute, that's kind of heavy. Like, you know, who did impact me the most when it comes to work ethic, right? Who was that person for me? Did they teach me to work harder, to be a grinder or a hustler, whatever, you know, whatever phrase you want to use that sort of exemplifies like someone that is willing to do whatever it takes for as long as it takes until it works or not, you still got to make the choice from today, moving forward. You could say, I choose to outwork my competition, or I'm going to put in, uh, you know, one extra hour every single day, one more rep every single day inside the gym, whatever it may be, it's your choice. But when I reflect back on the story of my career, one of the most impactful messages was you have a choice to work hard or not. Now it was interesting, the sub sort of value that my dad delivered to all of us in my family was your income is always in direct correlation to the, the value that you deliver to the marketplace. Now, later on in my life, when I would listen to people like uh, Earl Nightingale, who was one of my dad's early bosses and one of his great mentors and really the guy that put the motivational speaking and training business on the map around the world, 
Earl was the first person to really say that, that, you know, your income is in direct correlation to the value that you deliver to the marketplace. So you take the combination of work ethic and this early sort of value set of when I was 18, 19, 20, 21, constantly being beaten in my head. You don't like your income. You're not delivering enough value. You want to figure out like how to become wildly successful, whatever that means to you, figure out what are the problems that people have and figure out how you can service or solve those problems at scale. Now, I didn't go to college and I barely got out of high school, but that combination of work ethic and thinking certainly put me on a trajectory that was different from most, right? Not good, bad, right, or wrong, but I just, as I start this, I have to give a huge nod to my pop. So dad, if you're listening right now, I love you and I can't wait to play golf with you and take your money. All right, let's go to the second person that impacted my life. Uh, I remember distinctly sitting inside my office and imagine we're in a high rise building in uh, Southern California and a young guy shows up. Now I don't recall if he had an appointment. Um, I think he actually just knocked on the door of the ninth floor of our high rise and I was a salesperson, you know, I think in my first year of sales, I think I made like 67,500 bucks. Now when you're, when you're 18 and or 19 and you're making that much money, you think you're just an absolute rock star, right? All my buddies were still in college, right? So I was just, you know, killing it and had my own apartment, yada, yada, yada. Um, but I acknowledge that that first year in sales, it was only about one thing for me. I was just going to work harder, make more phone calls and just be more enthusiastic than anybody else around me. Um, so I was basically a spaz. I had no skills. There was no technique. The biggest problem I had was there was nothing that I was doing that could be replicated. I just got lucky because I made enough phone calls and I was enthusiastic and very positive and uplifting in my experience. I'm sure for some people I was annoying as all get up, but that's how I was able to win. But then going into my second year, it was basically the same thing. I had set a goal to double my income and very quickly, a couple of months in, I was on pace to earn exactly the same amount of money. So it's that old line, like what got you here won't get you there. So serendipitously, this guy knocks on the door at the office. I happen to be walking by, I forget the reception's name at the time. And I meet this guy named Robert Stover. And I'm like, hey, how can I help? He's like, hey, so I was you know, told there's a bunch of salespeople here and I'm a master sales trainer in a thing called neuro-linguistic programming. And I'm like, oh, neuro-linguistic programming, like, what's that? And I remember him, myself, my brother Matthew, and a guy named Ray Tringali, big shout out to Ray, who also worked with us. Um, we all sat down with him for whatever, I don't even remember what the time was, 15, 20 minutes, an hour, whatever it was. And essentially he offered, hey, for $500 a month, I will meet you every Saturday and I will teach you the principles and the techniques of NLP to put you in a situation where you can out-influence everybody. You could be the most influential person in the room. You will always know exactly what to say in every selling situation. The timing was right. If you remember the story, I'm coming off year one, I made 67.5. Year two, I set a goal to double my income and I was clearly on pace to do exactly the same because my enthusiasm was only enough to get a few people to say yes. I didn't know how to ask good questions. I didn't know how to discover problems and figure out you know, solutions to these people's problems. And, and for me, it was that moment of saying yes. So get, I'm making 67.5. I'm living now at this point in my, a condo that I bought. I remember that, like bought it at 19, my first house. So I'm in there, <laughs> Jacob Sykes, my roommate, God bless him, was paying a lot of my mortgage as rent, which was great. And 500 bucks a month felt like a bazillion dollars. 
But I remember asking myself, all right, well, what's the like worst case scenario? Like I do this, you know, that wasn't like a, um, I think it was just a handshake. It was just like, I'll show up on Saturdays and, and all you have to do is learn and write sentences. That was basically the assignment. I remember saying yes. And 18 months later, after meeting this guy every Saturday at the office and the assignment was he would teach us two or three techniques. Here's a, you know, uh, embedded commands or double binds and all these different NLP strategies. And then every single week we would have to write 15 to 20 sentences, as many as 50 sentences a day, essentially embedding all this content into our unconscious mind. And then throughout the week, we would be practicing it, whether it was literally going to a bar because I was single and having fun and had a fake ID, or on the phone presenting or just meeting random people and trying all these different techniques for 18 straight months, every Saturday, every day writing sentences, showing up and just grinding. When I look back on the impact of that, the confidence that that gave me, was it NLP? Am I, am I recommending to you NLP? No. Was it... Was it saying yes and committing to something, the acknowledgement that I didn't go to college, right? And even though I was reading books and because of my dad, I was exposed to all these incredible mentors and audio cassette programs, and that's a whole other story. But this was, I'm going to learn to communicate in an effective way to be influential. And whether that shows up in my career as a salesperson or as a leader, as a manager, as a politician, heaven forbid, could you imagine? Something like that, I knew I remember being told early on, there's two great fears for people, death and dying and public speaking. Death and dying, you ever heard that, that line? Like death and dying and public speaking, right? And, and public speaking, I was certainly intrigued by because of my pops. Death and dying, I was like, you're 19 or 20, you're not even thinking about that. It's like not even a factor. And then I remember asking somebody like, well, why are people afraid of public speaking? And he's like, well, they don't know what to say and getting in front of a crowd makes them nervous. And I'm like, oh, so if I knew what to say, and I knew how to communicate, then I could eliminate that fear. And I would eliminate one of two of the biggest fears that people face. Like, that sounds like a cool challenge. So this isn't about NLP. It's about saying yes. And then it's about committing to something in that case for 18 months that became a lifelong sort of mission. Um, so big shout out to Robert Stover. Now I'm going to bounce around a little bit. Um, but whether you are 30 years in your career like myself, or you're starting in day one, there are always moments in time where you feel like you're starting over. So I want to fast forward to uh, now 20 years ago. And that was the first month that I started this business. So I'd been with my dad for 13 years, helped him take this little family business from $3 million to about $45 million in revenue and was very proud of the work that we had accomplished, um, you know, changed a lot of lives, created what we now know as coaching in the real estate industry, um, you know, groundbreaking, super fun work, lots of innovation. Um, but if you know my backstory, it was time for me to go. So I start this company and I remember probably like some people start the new year with, what am I really going to do? Like, do you guys ever find yourself like, like, what am I going to do? Like, that's the question we probably get the most on. How do I start? How do I, I switch companies. What's the best strategy? I want to go from being a buyer's agent to a listing agent. How do I do that? Right. I'm an entrepreneur. How do I start my business? And in the course of the time running my dad's company, I, we had an opportunity to sell the business multiple times, but one in particular that I think about, I met a guy named Rick Kurtz. So Rick, if you're listening, you know, I love you and respect you. And you're like, like my brother from another mother, man. Rick Kurtz uh, is one of the greatest 
platform presenters I've ever met. I would also argue he's probably one of the best promoters I've ever met in my life. And I remember calling him and saying, after a fierce negotiation, he was the president of the other company and I was president of my dad's company and we were negotiating back and forth on the sale. That didn't work out. Um, but he and I became dear friends. And I remember asking him, hey man, I've started my new company. What do you recommend I do to get started? Now get this. He says, do you know what Tony Robbins and Brian Tracy and myself, and he, he named some local people in real estate, Don Hobbs and Greg Herter from Hobbs and Herter. He said, do you know what all of us have in common? And I was like, what's that? And he's like, we all did office presentations to sell our events. That's how we got started. And I was like, office presentations to sell our events. I'm like, now remember I had built a, a probably, I don't know, sub 300 person business with my pops and our management team. So I understood events. I understood marketing. I understood sales. I launched MikeFerry.com in 1996, right? So I was, you know, relatively savvy in email marketing and direct mail and everything else and telephone sales and all this stuff that we do every single day and what a lot of businesses do. But when he said that to me, I thought, wow, two things. First, I could stay home because I had spent the last seven years, about 28 weeks a year on the road, doing events, traveling. When people say to me, I want to be a professional speaker. I'm like, you have no idea what you're, you, you want people to clap when you speak. Do you have any idea what it's like to leave your home for me, young kids, like on a Sunday and be gone Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, come back Friday, usually exhausted and then have a business to run and have to be super dad and be, I'm like, you want that for yourself? You're insane, right? But it was a part of what I understood. It was the way that I was going to deliver the most value. So I went out and did that. And I did it for seven straight years, 28 weeks plus on the road, away from my family, away from my friends, away from what I would call a normal life to literally living in hotel rooms. And I said, wow, I could predict where my events are going to be. They could all be local Southern California. And I could literally stay at my own home and drive to office meetings all over Southern California. And essentially, I built the business on year one doing three sales meetings a day, sometimes three to four days a week, and did that leading up to all my events. Now, if you're listening to this and you go back to the work ethic conversation, it kind of makes sense. Get in the car, make phone calls, show up, do a presentation, right? It's kind of like you. Make phone calls, go on a listing appointment, leave that listing appointment, make more phone calls, go to the next appointment, probably stop at Starbucks, grab a quick sandwich, have lunch, go make another presentation at noon, and then go make another presentation at three, and I might now be three or four hours away from my house, get in the car and drive all the way home. And I did that for three straight years to build my business. And the nod I give to Rick Kurtz, because I was literally able to take from startup to just shy of $10 million in revenue in three years, 10, 10 million in the actual third year, not 10 million combined over the three years. It was because he said, look, Tony Robbins used to do this. Brian Tracy used to do this. And he was able to anchor in me mentors of mine, people that I had a, a lot of respect for. Now they did this for a guy named Jim Rohn. If you don't know that name, uh, Jim was a, a, another Southern California or lived in Southern California, incredible author, uh, professional speaker, great business person. Uh, Tony sold for him. Jim, uh, Brian Tracy sold for him. So did Don Hobbs. So did Greg Herter. Pretty fascinating. So that was a moment in time. And it really got me thinking like, like, think about for you. Like, if I said to you, if you're asking yourself, how do I start? And I said, here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to talk to 40 to 50 people a day over the phone. Then I want you to go make three presentations a day where you are presenting information to solve problems for the customers you're with. Do that three times a day. Do it for three straight years with absolute blind faith that it was all going to work out. And, and also the recognition that no one cared if you were tired, if you were sick, if you weren't feeling well, if you got in an argument with your spouse, if you were behind on payroll, if you were stressing over money, no one cares. So you have to show up at your absolute best every single day. That's why I started my business. That was the first three years, which then gave us the juice and the capital to then go hire more people, grow the business. And oh, by the way, the last year that was 2006 and I went right into seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, which we all remember, but that's a whole different story. So let me give you another one. Thinking about 2007. How many times in life have you been told you should create content? How many times in life have you been told you should create content? Myself, Jason Pantana, maybe a manager, maybe a friend, another YouTuber, somebody on Instagram, TikTok. And everyone talks about Gary Vaynerchuk. I have one of Gary's books right here uh, who I met in like 2008 for the first time. Everyone says the same thing. And yet, even today in 2023, if there was 10 million real estate agents around the world, my hallucination would be no more than about... 50,000 make content at frequency, like at scale, do it a lot. And that even might be a big number, Brandon. You think about it, like how many people that we know, like our community that just puts out content at scale, but it's not everybody. It's this tiny percentage of them that really hit it hard. So I'm going to take that number back and say it's no more than 10,000 agents that do it at scale. For me, I always knew whoever gave out their material for free. Whoever put out more content was the educator. We didn't call it back in, we didn't call it content, by the way. My first endeavor going to this was in 2005. I was looking for a way to get the word out. And I'd already written a paperback book, but the problem with the book was you had to sell the book or you had to print the book and, and have costs and then just send the book out almost as a calling card. And I was like, there's gotta be a better way. And at that time, I had a Blackberry. Remember Blackberries? And on Blackberries, I forget what the channel was on a Blackberry, but it allowed you to listen to like audio messages. It was like MP3, whatever, files, something like that. I'm looking at my team like I don't even know what it is anymore. But you could like listen to these messages on your phone. And I'm like, that's awesome. What if between the phone and or Blackberry and their computer, what if I started sending audio messages to my email database, giving them scripts, giving them insights, giving them motivation, giving them business tactics. I'm like, let's try it. So I remember like going to, I swear it had to be like Radio Shack and buying one of those like globes, like as a, as a uh, recording device, like a microphone, plugging it into my laptop and learning like, do you want to upload this? Yes. And learning how to send that out via email to, I don't know, 15,000 people on my database. And, you know, whether it was once a week, that was a cadence for a while, or I was doing some 30-day sprints where I'd have literally have 30 days of messages or 31 days of messages, it started to catch fire. It started, more and more people started sharing that. Remember, like, sharing stuff via, I don't even know, like, your AOL account, you're going to share this via email, this Tom Ferry message. It started to hit, but then the market completely crashed. 
right? So 2007, you know, became just a, a very challenging time as everybody remembers. I was helping people get REO accounts and short sales and all that other stuff, but that's a different message for a different time. But I was on the golf course one day and maybe you've heard me tell this story before. Uh, my buddy, uh, Ed Park, Dr. Ed Park, who is just a super human being. Um, I walked up to him and I'm like, Ed, how's it going? He's like, good. Ed is a Harvard grad doctor, very serious at that time in his life, very stoic. Um, not the most, Ed, if you're listening, I love you. Not the most fun person to be with on a golf course for four hours, right? Like, I don't know, he was just too smart for me is the best way to describe it. Like he was just way too heady and, and not a lot of emotion. And I'm obviously, you know, kind of a knucklehead and have lots of emotion. But he says to me, hey, my buddy David Un is here. You wanna meet him? We should play golf together. And I was like, cool. And I turned to David, I'm like, David, nice to meet you. You know, what do you do? He said, oh, I work for Google. And I was like, kind of a big company. Like where, Australia, Northern California, like where are you? And he's like, he's like, I'm in New York City. And I'm like, oh, you're on the media side. Like I knew that. And I was like, that's cool. What do you do there? And he said, I'm in charge of the homepage. And I remember literally saying to myself, I'm going to grab his golf bag right now, put it in my cart, and I'm going to drive this guy around for four to 11 hours and ask him every question I can about Google. And we literally get in the car and I, we start playing and just whatever. Nice guy. And, and by the way, Ed is a brilliant, nice, fun guy too. But David, I was super obsessed with like, this guy works at Google. Google, think about this, it was like 2007. This isn't today Google with 85 bazillion searches every single day. They were still ascending. And I remember saying to him, so I do these audio messages and I send them out to people via email and it's starting to catch fire and I'm excited about it. And I said, as a matter of fact, uh, BlackBerry's parent company, RIM, reached out to me and they want me to do an exclusive deal for the real estate industry. Think about this, in like 2007, BlackBerry wanted me to do this exclusive content deal just for them. So all my content would only be on BlackBerry. And he turned to me and he said, essentially audio messages are stupid. And I remember thinking to myself, I've been doing this for like a year and a half, maybe two years. And he, this guy at Google just told me that everything I've been doing is stupid. Even thinking about it right now, I want to punch him in the face. Cause I actually said to Brandon earlier, could you imagine if I would have kept doing what we now refer to as podcasting starting in 2005, <laughs> right? Like Joe Rogan, you got nothing on me, right? Like that would be bananas. But in that moment I was coachable and I literally stopped him and said, what do you recommend? And he said, well, we just bought this company called YouTube. And he said, over time, the bandwidth, the speed of the internet is going to pick up and YouTube is going to take over the world. He's like, I'm telling you right now, he said, the homepage of YouTube, or excuse me, the homepage of Google, this is what he told me, the homepage of Google in the next few years, you're going to see searches that are photo and then video. And I was like, photo and video, like versus think back to like 2007 sidebar ads and then top of the bar, yellow ads. Like I'm, I'm dating myself a little bit for some of my old school people on Google. You know what I'm talking about? And I was like, wow, photos. Yeah. Hand me that. That's perfect. Photos and videos. So he tells me, by the way, my team just handed me one of my old, God, these things were just priceless flip video cameras. He tells me this. And I remember we played golf uh, he stole my 60 degree wedge reminder, David, you never sent that back to me. And I think I actually just dropped it in his bag and I just forgot. I probably dropped it in his bag unconsciously so I could get his phone number. 
I think that actually is the real story. And anyway, so I never got it back, but it didn't matter because he, uh, he gave me just about 10 pages of notes that day playing golf. Google wants you to be successful. Google wants you to create more content. We own YouTube. YouTube is going to control the world. Video is going to be where everything is at. It's going to completely dominate the entire world. This is what this guy was telling me in, you just think about that in 2007. So I, what do I do? I like race home after playing golf. I call probably John Wesley and I'm like, we need a camera and we're going to start creating videos and we're going to put it on YouTube. Now, if you remember YouTube in 2007, it was like uh, cat videos, Charlie bit my finger, the dance guy, like, and it was wonky and it was slow and you had to dial up and it was just, it just wasn't right. But when the guy at Google tells you it's going to take over the world, I say to myself, okay, I'm on it. So I literally shifted everything to YouTube. I dropped the audio stuff, which I'm pissed about. I stopped blogging in the more classic sense. And immediately, 2007, started, it was like July 9th or something, started my YouTube channel. And then started searching around, running to people like Gary Vaynerchuk and others that were early pioneers, people that were putting out interesting content, all very niche back then. Um, but it started to catch fire. And I realized, wow, I could shoot a video and I could email that instead of the audio file. I could just email the link to the video and all of a sudden 300 people see it, 400 people see it, 500 people see it. People start making content or um, comments. Um, I could start interacting with people. This It wasn't too far from there. And help me if I'm wrong here, guys. It wasn't too far after that, that all of a sudden it was no longer Friendster and MySpace. Then it was Facebook. Right. And then you could like link up, I think much later, link up videos on Facebook when they would let you do that versus how it's done today. It was just super impactful. But think about it in your own life, in your own business. You have moments in time, like the moments I'm sharing here, that completely changed everything for you. Maybe, maybe it was a manager, maybe it was a broker, maybe it was a top agent in your office, maybe it was a coach, maybe it was someone like myself who said something and bam. It just resonated. I think about uh, Glenda Baker. Oh, you know, bless your heart, Glenda Baker, right? Oh, my stars. Uh, in 2019, we were at the Elite Retreat, and she walked out to me, and she's like, hey, sweet Tom Ferry, I think it's time for me to get a new coach. And I was like, I remember like grabbing her by the shoulders and saying, good, I'm going to put you with Jason Pantana, and you're going to start doing video. That kind of worked out for her. That was a moment in time. Now, I, I'm not taking credit for that. All I did was open up a door and put her with a different coach. She went all in on video and absolutely, completely changed the trajectory of her career forever. Big shout out to you, Glenda. You took action. Hey, it's Tom Ferry. Question, what's your favorite social media platform? Are you big on Insta? Do you love to tweet? No matter where you answer, I'd love for you to connect with me there. All you gotta do is just type in at Tom Ferry and follow and let's you and I connect. I wanna be able to deliver the right content, the right ideas, the ways to help you grow your business, stay fired up, keep moving, be in action and run plays that work and the platform that matters most to you. So subscribe and I'll see you there soon. So again, huge shout out to, uh, to David and no longer at Google and just a superhuman being. Um, don't sign with BlackBerry <laughs> and audio messages are stupid. <laughs> Think about that. Like how great was that in 2007? All right, let's go to the next one. Um, you have met people in your life in the most random situations that can change your life in a minute, like for the better, infinitely, unbelievably. 
One of those for me was, I guess it'd now be almost 12 years ago, I was on a ski trip, I'm a snowboarder, with my buddy Claude, Dan, Chad Cooper, and myself, and I think we did like a cat track or something like this. And I am no like expert snowboarder. And most of these guys are pretty good skiers. And I was a, a hack, but I had a lot of fun. Um, but on this trip, uh, I remember being with Dan. And at the end of each day, we would both grab our laptops. And we'd open it up and I'm CEO of a company. So I'm looking at the numbers and what's going on and checking in and emails and, you know, working, right? Doing all that stuff at the end of a, a super fun day. And I look over at his laptop and it's like all these dashboards. And I'm like, Dan, what do you do again? And he's like, I'm the chief revenue officer for a company called Three Day Blinds. And I was like, oh yeah, Three Day Blinds. I'm like, what is all this on your dash? Like, what are you looking at? Because I was looking at like emails and spreadsheets and his looked just far more sophisticated. And he turned to me and he said, if you, if you go make me a cocktail, I will show you how to 10X your business and bury your competition. And I remember literally grabbing a napkin, putting it over my arm and saying, Sir, what kind of cocktail would you like? Now, I didn't know his background. I didn't, I, we, knew, we knew each other kind of. It's probably like the second trip we've been on, but we didn't, it's like life and kids. And that was like the typical conversation, not about work. And I remember saying, what do you want? He told me, I went, I made him a drink. I came back, I sat it down and I'm like, Dan, what do you do? Like, what do you, he goes, well, let me give you the backstory. He goes, you know, Zillow, right? And I'm like, of course, Zillow at that time was my partner. And I'm like, they, them and Bank of America promoting my events. And I was like, yeah, of course. I'm like, why? And he says, well, I used to work with Kelly Dumont of the Dumont Project. And I'm like, I have no idea who that is. And he says, well, that was the agency that Zillow hired the first, I think he was there for like the first six or seven years to help launch them digitally. He said, I ran ads for them on Google, Facebook. I tested their Twitter ads. I did their LinkedIn ads. I did all of that for several years managing that account before I left to take this job and now doing a very similar thing for Three Day Blinds. And I was like, holy shit. I watched Zillow's rise and, and I know, you know, a lot of the early executives there, friends and, you know, the founders and, and, never knew that they had outsourced a lot of their early growth to an agency, let alone the guy that I'm sitting next to and snowboarded all day with. And I was like, so tell me more about that. And what did you do? And he, he started describing, you know, typical theories, you know, A-B testing everything, landing pages this, acquisition cost of a lead, eyeballs, you know, conversion, da, da, da. and I'm like fascinated. And then I said, now, help me understand, what am I looking at here? And he says, well, at Three Day Blinds, he said, as the chief revenue officer, my number one job is to book appointments for my salespeople across the country. And I was like, that makes sense to me. For you, the person listening, for me in my own business, having a sales team, right? I was like, tell me more about that. And he literally, we opened up, looked at my laptop, went to my website, and he said, so when I go to your website, what is it you want me to do? And I was like, oh, well, I guess I want you to know, like, and trust me, maybe check out my events. Maybe it was all stupid and loosey goosey is the only way to describe it at that time. I just didn't know. And even though I launched my first website in 1995, 1996 with Mike I, I, it just, you know, like sometimes, you know, but you don't do, have you been there before? And what you needed was some outside counsel to remind you of what, you know, to get it done. And I was like, oh, this is making me really uncomfortable, which means I'm growing. This is awesome. And then he said, 
Look at threedayblinds.com. He said, the only thing I want someone to do when they go there, after they watched a television ad, listened to a radio ad, saw a Google ad, got an email, whatever it is, is I want them to schedule an appointment with one of my salespeople. And if you went right now to threedayblinds.com, I don't care if on your iPhone or your laptop, what are you going to see? It's like, here's some blinds and draperies and like half the pages, schedule your consultation here. I was like, man, that is brilliant. And then he asked me, so how much money do you spend on Facebook to drive traffic to your company? And I said, oh man, a lot. And he goes, tell me about that. I said, yeah, I started at like $5 a day and I'm already now up to about $4,000 a month. And I remember him asking me this question. He said, what do you want the most? And I said, well, I want, you know, leads and I want appointments for people that are interested in my services. And he said, do you know your CAC? And it was like the first time I'd ever heard that before. And I was like, CAC? <laughs> He's like, do you know your cost to acquire a client? And I was like, hold on, let me write that down. <laughs> CAC, <laughs> cost to acquire a client. I'm like, tell me more about that. And he said, how much is an appointment worth to you? Think about this question for you. How much is an appointment worth to you? And I said, I don't even know. How would I, how would I gauge that? He said, well, how about this? If I showed you how you could generate 300, 400, 500 appointments a week or a month, whatever it is you desire, what would that be worth to you? And I'm like, are you pitching me right now and hiring you as a consultant? He says, no, but if you buy me like a case of rosé, I will come spend a day with whoever's in your marketing team, which I think was one person at the time. And I will show you exactly how to redo your website. I'll show you exactly how to run ads on Facebook. And if you want to Google and everything else, and the rest is history. I mean, so I'm sitting with four people right now in my marketing department. Do you guys know we, on any given month, will invest four hundred to $500,000 a month in advertising, right? Very typically, right? And, and I don't say that to, to brag. I say it because every dollar I spend, we end up making three. We end up making four. Sometimes we make as much as seven. It became one of the most repeatable and scalable ways to grow my business. Now, for you, as you're listening to this, you might be thinking, I did that through direct mail. I did that through Zillow or Realtor.com or Trulia back in the day or Homelight back in the day before they all switched to more of the you know commission model, referral fee model. It makes a ton of sense. That, I want to say, so that would have been 12 years ago. 12 years ago, a moment in time, sitting next to somebody completely random who I knew but I didn't know, I never took the time to go deep with to really understand who they were how I could bring them more value, how they can certainly bring me more value. Um, Dan, if you're listening, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And I'm always grateful for you. That put us on a trajectory for everything we're doing today from the standpoint of digital. When, when we were named number one coach, trainer, yada, 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 I would argue that was just as much our Facebook advertising and our Google advertising as it was when we were doing 100 seminars around the country or all over the world, right? Like it was the combination for the person listening, you right now, it was literally, hey, Tom Ferry, I see you everywhere. And isn't that what we want from our brand? Think about it for you. Like, don't you want to be that agent, that, that entrepreneur that when you walk into a room, five or six people recognize who you are? Like, I remember saying to my wife, like, I'm going to become the most recognizable business coach in real estate on the planet everywhere I go. And I remember writing that down and it probably felt a little egotistical, even kind of saying it kind of sounds a little egoy, but it was, if I could impact people in every country around the world, like how freaking cool would that be? Like, like the dash of my life, 
you know, the day I was born, the day I died, like there's just going to be all these little touch points, all these moments of my life. And one of them is like, I don't know, being in the Czech Republic and walking into a cafe with my wife and my kids right over the Charles Bridge and, and literally someone going, Tom Ferry, let's do a selfie. And the person didn't speak any English, but knew my name and knew selfie. And, and my wife turned to me, she's like, holy shit. Like, I think you actually did it. Like, this is weird. I'm like, okay, he's a Remax agent. He's coming to my seminar tomorrow. So he probably saw my promotion. Like it wasn't that great, but think about it. What Dan set me on the trajectory for was you could scale your brand all over the world and become that recognizable and you could do the same. And I hope you're getting that message from that conversation from David to Dan. All right. I'm going to give you, I'll give you one more. This is a fun one. So I have one of his books right here, which is, I think out of all the books he wrote, that's my favorite one. Right. So big shout out to Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, I remember Lauren Arabia on my team said, Hey, this guy just spoke at Inman. He said the F word something like 400 times in a 90 minute talk, but the audience really ate him up. We should check him out, which is a weird way to say we should hire somebody with like that kind of introduction. But I was like, that's the wine library guy. I go, I've seen him on YouTube. I'm like, yes, I actually watched a couple of his shows. We should hire him to speak at one of our events. Let's see what that would be like. So he flies in the night before. We, uh, we get to have like a, a late dinner, just kind of touching base, but there was like a lot of people there. So it wasn't like a, a super social experience. The next morning we're backstage. Um, he's there hanging out early on his phone, you know, doing his thing. And, uh, and I'm, you know, doing my thing. And then I, come backstage from the break. He's the last speaker on the last day. And I remember just kind of, you know, if you know, Gary, right. He's even back then, like you kind of knew he was special and different and crazy and willing to sort of push the envelope with people to get them to see what was possible. Like so many other people, the, the David Goggins of the world and all these amazing people that I've been, Teresa Jabor, huge shout out to Teresa, one of my first coaches, um, just really pushed people. So back then he gets on stage, he does his thing. It's totally electrifying. I'm actually, I remember standing in the back of the room with my wife and Gary's just being Gary. Like this is 2008 and you know, beep, 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 beep. And you should get on video and beep Facebook and beep, you know, whatever. Like just, just dropping them left and right. It was hysterical. Um, I'm sitting in the back of the room and my wife who is somewhere between electrified and horrified while this is happening. Cause she's very protective of our brand and very protective of me. And she's like, I'm not sure about this. And then we see this client of ours from like Alabama walking up and she, I would describe her without saying her name as somewhere between a nun and a librarian. Right. And I'm thinking, Oh God, she's coming back here and she's been watching this presentation. Like this is going to be bad. She comes walking up and she's like, Hey Tom Ferry, uh, can I ask you a question? And like, my wife is like, you know, when like your spouse has their hand, like kind of behind you, like they're like acting like they love you. But I think she had like a, she was just digging like a pen into me. Like, why did we hire this guy? This is horrible. I can't believe he's doing this. And the woman goes, is this message being recorded? And I said, yes, it is. She goes, can I get a copy? I'd really like to share it with my pastor. <laughs> 
I was like, Whoa. literally out of my mind. I was like, yes, it's being recorded. I will make sure I get a copy. Are you sure you want to give this to your pastor, like your priest? Like that, like he's kind of cursy-lursy. And she was like, no, but his message is so on point. Like the world's got to go to digital. Social's going to take over the world. Like she got it so fast in that room. Then my wife, I think the pen did come out of my side. There's probably a little blood there. And she was like, okay, this is going to be good. But it was that afternoon, I remember him saying from the stage, I've never missed a Jets game ever. And the seminar was over and the Jets were playing that night. So it must have been a Thursday night game and the summit must have ended on Thursday. And we went back to my suite and we tried to plug in my laptop so we can watch the old Pong version of football because we couldn't get it on cable for whatever reason. And, and after like five minutes of that, we both looked at him, this is stupid. Let's just drink some wine because he's a wine guy. So I brought wine, he brought wine and we just hung out and we just chatted. But it was this moment when we were talking about brand and he was asking me like, you know, who are the people that have impacted you? I was talking about Mike, Mike Vance and all these other people that, you know, really impacted my life. And he said, why coach? And I said, well, you know, I wanted to become the biggest coach in real estate. And he said to me, drop coach, just be Tom Ferry. He said, I think you'll find over time that being Tom Ferry has far more value than being coach Tom Ferry. Now at that point, Courtney, Every Facebook page, every YouTube channel, everything was Coach Tom Ferry, Coach Tom Ferry, Coach Tom Ferry. And I was branding that over and over and over and over and over again. And uh, he did, by the way, help me get at Tom Ferry on Twitter because some like 14-year-old had it or something. And that, that was helpful. Um, but it was that moment of clarity around, even for you as a real estate professional or a, a lender or an entrepreneur as you're listening to this, um, how much weight your name can have in a marketplace and what was interesting is I remember going back after that and tr starting to make all the changes. It, it was like, the, what's the, what was the moment in the, um, the social network, right? When the character, the guy that created, um, this is completely random on a podcast. Say again? No, it wasn't Zuckerberg. He was, he, the guy said to him, drop the on Facebook. Just be Facebook. Don't be the Facebook because it was the Facebook. It was Justin Timberlake. I was going to say that, but that's not who he was. He was, yes, yes, it was that guy. You know the moment I'm referring to. Drop the the. And they were hammered drinking sushi or eating sushi. Drinking sushi. That's funny. Um, anyway, no editing any of this. This is just totally random. But it was one of those moments for me like, okay, you're right. Like your brand, your name means everything. And then I went, I remember going back and doing like, some Google analytics searches that people were searching my name, not searching coach Tom Ferry. They weren't like, it was just the content I was putting out, the things I was doing that became the brand. Good, good branding point for you to think about too. All right. So my last one, Teresa Jabor, I mentioned him earlier, her earlier, excuse me. So Teresa was a business and life coach of mine for gosh, off and on for probably 15 years. And today she actually coaches one of my senior executives. I've referred her to a ton of senior executives. She worked for uh, an organization that was affiliated with like Landmark Education Corporation, if anybody's familiar with that. Uh, super powerful woman. That's not how I met her. Uh, I was actually referred to her by a client of mine in Toronto had, who had worked with her. And I remember having conversations with this woman like every week, like we would do in a sort of classic coaching relationship about life and business and where I was going and uh, leaving my dad's business and starting over, starting anew. She was a part of that journey with me, helping me, you know, continue to take the high road, 
do the right thing, honor my dad and not ever go against him as I was building my own brand and business. So big shout out to her and Bill Mitchell for being uh, the guardrails for me to keep me on track because I always knew take the high road. Um, But there was a moment in time that Teresa impacted me the most. I had finished my book. We were going to do the final pitches with myself and Laura uh, in New York City with all the big publishers. We had five meetings that day. And I remember landing uh, in New York City, took a red eye in. And I don't know if you've ever had this moment. Um, I'm sure you have. I know I'm not alone in this. But I remember literally thinking to myself, I'm not worthy of this. Like, like it was all, it was everything that I had written out was going to happen. It was going to be a New York Times bestseller. I had done every, I did everything leading up to get them to write us a big check to cover the cost of Laura. Uh, I had sales and marketing ready to go. I, I guess you would almost call it like today we'd call it like the imposter syndrome, right? Like I felt like I was an imposter. Like who was I to write a book like this? Who was like, had I done enough to be worthy of this? Like that's what was going through my head that morning. And I, I, I remember like being on the plane and literally working myself up into like almost a panic attack. It was the only way I would describe it. Like, I don't know if I've ever had one of those, but like, you know, like in your heart's just racing and you're like, holy shit, this is going to happen. But I don't think it should happen. I don't know if I'm worthy of this. I don't know if this is the right thing for me. And I remember just freaking out. And the second the plane was on the ground, I remember texting Teresa and saying, can you talk? And she called me immediately. Thank goodness, East Coast, she was up. And I said, Teresa, this is what's going on. This is what I'm feeling. Like, I'm really, I'm freaking out right now. And I, I don't know what to do. And she's, I'm, I don't remember exactly how she said it, but the essence of what she said was, Tom, take a big deep breath and answer one question for me. Are you willing to operate every day in your life, in every meeting at a level 10 and never give a shit about what everybody else thinks. And I was like, say that again. She's like, are you willing to operate at your best self, your version of level 10, every day in every meeting, regardless of what anybody else thinks? If they reject you, if they don't like it, can you live with that? Can you say it doesn't? I almost went full Gary on you and said, beep, 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 matter. But you know what I mean? Like, she literally said, I'm asking you to be a 10 and stop giving a shit about what everybody else thinks. Go into those meetings, be your best self, play your cards, and if you win, great, and if you don't, who gives a shit, fight another day. And I was like, yeah. Like, it was all I needed to hear. It was just that moment of like, I wrote about it in the book. I actually remember adding it into the book, which was every single human being is six moves from death and dying in every action that they take. And I was there, I was in that same moment of like absolute fear, like, what if it all happens? <laughs> you know what I mean? Sometimes we set these like big, bold, crazy goals and you get close to the finish line and you self-destruct. And I think that's what I was feeling. Like, am I gonna self-destruct? Am I gonna be right there on the finish line, ready to do this thing and somehow like self-sabotage the entire experience? Do any of you, I'm talking to my team right now, do you guys, any of you ever remember or listen to Tony Robbins' original 30 Days to Personal Power? Yeah. Okay, so, so Idris, yes, the rest of you are too young. It was audio cassettes too. Tony talked about it a lot, that, that too many people get right to the finish line and then they quit. 
right? You think about all the sports examples, right? You think about like the film you're creating, right? Like you get close and then it's like, wait a minute, this is getting real. Can I really handle this? And you stop. That's what I was feeling in that moment. And there was just something about the way she said it. Are you willing to operate at your best? Can you be a 10? Because that was something we always talked about, like level 10. Like, could you operate at level 10 and just not give a shit about what anybody else thinks? Can you just be that person? And I was like, like it's all I needed to hear. Five straight meetings, all five people wanted to buy the book, right? Three ultimately ended up, we put them in a bidding war situation. And I remember calling, side note, Brian Tracy afterwards. Um, big shout out to Brian Tracy. God bless that guy. Like one of my early, early, early mentors. Uh, I remember calling him before, uh, right after I met with Laura, right after I flushed out the book, right after we started getting the initial meeting set before we kind of got the manuscript ready, calling him and telling him I was going to get a check for $250,000 to write this book. And he laughed. So a mentor of mine freaking laughed in my ear, right over the phone. He's like, Tom, new authors don't get that. Just, just be happy with whatever they give you. Write your book because it won't be your last. You'll write many more, blah, 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 blah. And I remember getting off the phone being slightly pissed that someone that has always had my back gave me his best advice, which was, well, I never got 250, so there's no way you're going to get 250. And I freaking got 250,000 bucks to write that book. And I was pissed. Side note, I had a vision board in my home office in Newport Beach. I wish, God, I know I have it someplace. We got to frame it. It was like a shoots and ladders game of, if you remember, remember the old game, if you're only listening, it was remember the shoots and ladders game, except in this case, it was just the shoot going all the way down to the goal. There was no ladder to climb back up. Um, and I remember starting at the top and saying, I'm going to meet the perfect person to help me write the book. I'm going to get an offer to buy it. And then I actually had one of my teammates create a fake check payable to me for the book for 250,000 bucks. And that was on the vision board. And then it was literally remember Tom Cruise when he was jumping on Oprah's chair talking about being in love. So my team cut that out, put my head on Tom Cruise. And I was like, on Oprah was the vision. And of course, Oprah, if you're listening, knucklehead, you canceled your show right after my book came out. So it didn't, it didn't work. But like, I literally visioned this whole thing out. So I remember telling Brian, no, I've got this vision. I'm gonna have $250,000 check. I'm gonna be on Oprah. It's gonna be a New York Times bestseller. I had every one of those visuals was on this vision board for the book. And pretty much every one of those happened except I didn't get on Oprah. Like, Oprah, what were you thinking? You should have kept the show. Was, but your, anyway, was your fear of yeah. crossing that line because you knew after that, the success and everything, it would be harder? Because a lot of people quit before they get to that finish line because yeah. they know like, damn, it's only going to get, the stakes are higher after this. Idris, I, I think that is exactly it. I think it was Jordan wins one. Right. Crap. Now I got to get two. Three, Shaquille O'Neal, same thing. Kobe, right? like, you know, yeah. you know, I'm a huge NBA fan. It, yes, it is that. It's it's the breakthrough moment. I knew so now remember this is in 2009. The world was still in financial crisis. Right? Everywhere you looked, it was it, at that point it was massive numbers of people losing their houses. It was foreclosures everywhere, um, not just in the U.S. around the world. It was just financial chaos, and here I am writing. I'll, I'll just say it: a self-help, you can do it book during these times, and and I knew I'm going to hit all these targets, and I'm going to be on the map. And it also, I knew in the back of my mind, and I think it's why Teresa said it to me, is you're also going to be a target like you've never been before, 
right? Because you're, you're going to go from this like tiny little real estate coaching company, even though we were like one of the biggest in the space to on the map, New York Times bestseller, USA Today. And it was like, are you ready for that level of notoriety? And, and I think that's where a lot of the uncertainty was. Do you know what I mean? Like there was, so there's definitely some of that. Let me take that back. There was a ton of that. But looking back, I have no regrets. The upsets, the mistakes, the wins, the victories. And people ask me all the time, you know that question when people say like, hey, when you were in your 20s, what do you wish you'd have done differently? I'm like, nothing. Nothing. I'm so grateful for the life that I have, for every mistake, every lesson, every time I got punched in the head, and every time I had a success along the way. No regrets. Every, every decision got me to where I'm at right now. And you put yourself in those though. That's what I Big take time. from all of that. Yeah. Whether yeah. it be real estate, whether it be sports, lawyer, whatever, ego sometimes kills all of that because you were willing to put yourself with someone who knew more than you. 100%. And you weren't afraid to say that. 100%. That's how you learn. I think that's been, I know we just shot, shot some content earlier um, and we're talking about like mentors, right? And the power of mentorship or mentor coach, Socrates, Plato, it's, it's been around for a long, long, long time. Um, I am a sum total of the mentors, the men and women that were willing to spend time with me, whether they were alive or dead, you know, cause a lot of my mentors early on were just people that I could listen to on audio cassettes. And I was like, this person's talking directly, Earl Nightingale was talking directly to me and he'd been dead for, you know, a couple of years at that point. So yeah, mentorship, exposure, but, but the key, and I think all of us sitting inside this room and, and certainly you right now watching or listening, it is the fact that we take action, right? It's we, we, you know, like talking about the, Hey, I'm going to create this piece of content or I'm going to do this film, right? Brandon, like that kind of stuff. Hey, I'm moving to Colorado. Like that kind of like declaring that kind of stuff and then doing the work. That's what always impresses me with people because ideas are meaningless. Do you know what I mean? So for my person listening right now, what did you, what did you hear here? Hear, 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 H-E-A-R and then H-E-R, yes. What'd you hear here? Um, more importantly, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And by the way, that was Idris. So you should follow Idris. Idris on Instagram, I-D-R-I-S-E-R-B-A. Did I do that right? should definitely follow him. He just, by the way, we should do a podcast with you sometime and just to hear your backstory. I'll give you guys a little, he spent seven years with a guy named Floyd Money Mayweather, right? Traveling as his videographer and then documenting his experience and then The Rock and like all these just like super celebrities. And now he's slepping with me, which I am so grateful. <laughs> now, now he's not going to comment. He's like, yes, I'm slepping with you. <laughs> He did this to me once on stage. I did. He likes to call me out. And I was like, oh boy. And then people walk out to him. Oh my God, what's, what's it like to be with Floyd Money? He's like, he's crazy. <laughs> yes. Bro, no, no, no. They're going to ask him. Yeah, they don't care about me. They're like, How, what's it like? You know what the, the biggest rock? one people ask me is the yeah. Disney one. Because I was at Disney yes. for a while. Yes. And I have, I would say, every event, 20, 30 women ask me, can I get their child a job at Disney? Oh yeah. That they're dying to. For sure. Yeah. For sure. I get Disney's the, uh, the you're like, breaker. yes, they're, they're hiring right now at uh, Disneyland Orlando. Call Bob Iger. Hold on <laughs> yeah. a second. Yeah. By the way, that's, we could, we could do a whole other show just on Bob Iger being back at Disney. That was a remarkable move. Okay. We started this show totally random. How, Kelsey, how nervous was I when we were starting the show? I literally had to ask her six times, like, how am I, how should I start this? I don't know. All right. So you got to give me feedback. 
Let me know what you're thinking. I love you. Thank you so much for listening to this show. Thanks for letting me just be vulnerable and share some of the moments in my life and the business that have, uh, have helped me become who I am today. I, again, I owe so much to just a few of the mentors I talked about today and some of the special people that impacted me. And I've got a list of 50 others that I could do shows on. So thank you so much for listening. Maybe send this to a friend or two that needs uh, a reminder because maybe there's a lesson or two along the way and you know someone that was in a similar situation that I was in and it's time for them to get off their ass and get after it. All right. Thanks so much for being on the show. I'll see you soon. Take care. If you want more information about this episode, including my show notes, mentions, links, and everything else, make sure you visit tomferry.com slash podcast. That's tomferry.com slash podcast. Thanks again and talk to you soon.